Did you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are? Most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life. It's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they've become. Today on The Moment with Chris Epting, you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment. Now, here is your host, Chris Epting. Hey there, welcome. Chris Epting, thank you for joining me here on The Moment. As always, much appreciated. And if you want to catch out any previous shows, you can uh, listen to them here at voiceamerica.com. You can go to iTunes. You can go to Stitcher. Pretty much wherever you'll find audio, you will find episodes of The Moment uh, waiting for you. And today we've got um, a musician I, I think is just terrific. I think you're going to enjoy this show. But before we get to that, I wanted to address something really briefly about this book I have coming out in a couple of months called Idle Truth, which is a memoir that I've co-written with Leif Garrett, who you may remember as an actor and a teen idol and a singer and all kinds of things that Leif has done. As we were getting ready to launch the pre-order for the book, which is, I think we did it on Valentine's Day, Leif had this idea and he called me one day and he goes, look, man, I'm thinking, remember how Tiger Beat Magazine used to do... um, you know, win a date with Leif. They would run all these kind of crazy contests and, and girls around the world, you know, fans would get a chance to win an actual date with Leif. He goes, what if we did that? What if everybody who pre-ordered the book on Valentine's Day would automatically become eligible to win a date with me and, and you as well, sort of the two writers of the book. And we would take him to lunch and, you know, um, we can we would take it from there, and I said that's a, I think it's a brilliant marketing idea. So that's what we did, and the winners we had a lot of great um, people take part in sending their you know receipts for purchasing the book and sending in postcards to be eligible. And we picked our winners this week, and uh, later in the show I may have one of the contest winners on. I thought it would be fun to sort of reveal what her moment is like here, knowing that she's going to sit down and have a chance to ask Leif pretty much whatever she wants. Uh, about the book Idle Truth, which we are super proud of and, and certainly very excited about. One thing as well, in the next couple of weeks, I'm actually going to have uh, try and have Leif on. Uh, you know, I did a pre-record interview with him a number of weeks ago, but what I'd like to do is have him on um, live, so you can call in, maybe take some questions about the upcoming book. So I'm going to see if I can get that together. But in the meantime, I'm going to go to our guest. Now, our guest is a guy uh, named Robin Wilson. And if you're a fan of the band The Gin Blossoms, you certainly know who Robin is. He's the the voice of the band. He's the guitar player, one of the founding members. The Gin Blossoms, of course, go back to formed in, in the late 80s in Tempe, Arizona. And it was, you know, early 90s, 1992 when their first major label album, The New Miserable Experience, came out. And that single, Hey Jealousy, uh, became a top 25 hit, went gold, and uh, the album ultimately went on to, I believe, quadruple platinum. And uh, they just, you know, that launched the band, and they're still going strong today. And I had a chance to speak um, with Robin about um, about his life and his moments in getting the band together and what it takes to keep a band that successful together for this long and other moments in his life. And we have what I think is a, a really deep, fun, interesting conversation about these moments. So without further ado, we're going to throw it to that. And then hopefully at the end of the interview, which runs about 40 minutes or so, we're going to go with no commercial breaks, going to go straight through and um, hope you enjoy that then when we, when we come back hopefully we'll be able to line up one of our our win a date with Leif contest winners so we can get a sense of what that moment has been like in her life so I'm Chris Epting you are listening to the moment here on Voice America Radio and here's my conversation with the great Robin Wilson of the band Gin Blossoms 
Robin, here we talk about on the we on the moment each week. Are moments in people's lives where, where things kind of changed for the better, for the worse? Those pivotal moments that you look at as an artist and and sort of rethink and think, well, okay, were it not for this, maybe that wouldn't have happened. One thing I always like to hear, especially with well-known musicians, is was there a first show that you saw live? that opened your eyes? I don't know what the first concert you saw was, but is there something you think back on as a kid of a show that you saw that really kind of gave you uh, a bit of inspiration or at least clarity about what you wanted to do? Absolutely. Actually, there is, yes. So when I was eight years old, um, we were having a a sleepover at my neighbor's house, and we stayed up. It was a Friday night, and we stayed up to watch the Midnight Special, uh-huh. and then that, that was the night, the Midnight Special, the first time they ever aired the video for Queen Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, I watched it too. And, That's so funny you say that. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was kind of maybe one of the pivotal moments of, of my life, really, and uh, it, it just so totally blew me away that I, I pretty much decided right then that I wanted to be a rock singer. And um, I've, I've been on this path ever since, you know. What um, was it about... What was it about that video? Because what I remember thinking, knowing you know that it had been hyped, that it was going to be on, I wondered how they were going to replicate the operatic layering. You know, like how are they going to do that in a video? And as you remember, they just sort of uh, doubled and tripled and quadrupled the image of them singing. But but beyond the effects, what was it about the song and the video that spoke to you? What was it that really that got to your core? It's a pretty big deal to have one song do that to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was. It was Queen, you know, um, their, you know, their majesty, their power. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the song is just so great and the vocal performance is so incredible and the lyrics are uh, really moving and uh, confusing for an eight-year-old, you know. Uh, sure. But uh, it, was, it was just so, just such a powerful, powerful moment, yeah. So, did, did you ever have yeah. a chance to see them live um, back then or... Yeah, I saw them in, uh, I believe it was 1980 on the jazz tour. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, so, I, you know, they've, they've always been one of my favorite bands, and um, the, the, it was a huge influence on me. So, Where do you go uh, from there? Means- as, as a young musician, yeah. you know, you get inspired like that. What are your first steps as a young person? I'm assuming kind of middle school, high school. How do you first sort of attack this thing that you want to do? And what's the what's your path getting before you even get to the to the gin blossoms? Get, take us on the path that leads us there. Well, uh, you know, musically, I listened. To, I went through phases. You know, where it was. Uh, you know, a lot of hard rock and stadium rock like Kiss and Queen. Sure. Uh, my first my first concert was uh, the, that I ever saw was Cheap Trick open for Kiss in 1977. That was a pretty big deal. Oh, that's a great. That was um, a great tour. That was a fun yeah, tour. Yeah. You know, and then Urban Cowboy came out when I was a freshman in high school. That movie and that had a big impact on me and my friends and so we all started chewing copenhagen and listening to country music so i went through a country phase for a few years and then uh, my younger brother introduced me to new wave when i was a junior in high school and so i got really into new wave was listening to uh you know things like uh wall of voodoo and oingo boingo sure. and uh, 
uh, Duran Duran, I'm pretty sure I was the first person in my high school to buy a Duran Duran record. <laughs> and, um, and then out of, out of high school, I, I got a job at Tower Records in Tempe, Arizona. And immediately you, you start working with all these bohemian art students and everybody's playing different stuff. And so I got exposed to all kinds of different music at Tower, classical music, bluegrass, the heavy metal, uh, you know, and then all of the college rock that was out at the time, you know, R.E.M. and uh, uh, the Violent Femmes and the Smiths and, you know, the, the replacements, you know, those, those, sure. those things had a huge impact. And so I kind of uh, carried all of that, you know, as, as I was, you know, like a fledgling, uh, what I call a bedroom songwriter, you know. And uh, so, I was just, you know, I was constantly writing songs, but I had never been in a band but I would go to open mic nights every once in a while and try and try out my songs. And um, so, you know, leading up to my joining the Jim Blossoms, which was the first band I was ever in, you know, I was, you know, inundated with the, you know, 80s college rock scene. Like I said, the replacements, R.E.M., the Smithereens, things like that were, uh, were really key to the, the, the formation of my songwriting. And, you know, also as a, as a songwriter, I was very much, very much influenced uh, by Tom Petty and uh, Rick Nielsen of Cheap Trick. You know? yeah. So joining, joining the Jim Blossoms, my, my main touch tone as a, as a songwriter uh, was stuff like Petty, Cheap Trick, uh, The Replacements, uh, The Smithereens, you know, those, those kinds of bands. So, uh, and it's got to be weird, too, when you, write, when you mention a lot of those bands. Little do, do you know that your band will soon become one of those bands. I mean, that's a yeah. that's got to be a really strange thing. Would you, what's that like? If you put us in that driver's seat, what's it like when that starts to happen, when you realize that you're actually becoming you know, part of that conversation like that? Well, you know, you, you, you try, we tried to just stay true to our, uh, our instincts. You know, I was no, I was never put in a position. I never wanted to be put in a position where someone was saying, well, you need to, you need to make it a little bit more pop or you need to, you need to go a little more metal or whatever. We just followed our own muse and that, that was always important. But, and, and part of that path, when we first signed to A&M records, it, you know, the, the label, our A&R guys, they would ask us, you know, what kind of producers did you want to work with? Mm -hmm. So we would throw out, we would throw out names. And I remember saying names like, uh, Ed Stasium and, uh, Don Dixon. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, you know, we were kind of headed in that direction. And then, um, our, the guy who we ended up working with John Hampton, he had remixed one of our songs and the label was kind of pushing John Hampton on us. And we didn't, I didn't really know who he was, but I remember a, a conversation with our lead guitar player, Jesse Valenzuela. And Jesse told me that John Hampton was the guy that recorded The Replacements and Tommy Keene. And I remember just at that moment just going, he, that's, the go that's the guy. Let's just do that. If this is the dude who did Please to Meet Me and right, right, uh, right. How Tommy can you go Keen, wrong? Tommy Keene record, let's go there. And, and then so we went to... Uh, we signed up with John to produce the record. And then we realized we were going to Memphis, Tennessee to record at Ardent Studios, which was the studio that Big Star. Big, to the Big Star uh, studio, was, of course. Was built. And so, you know, there was, a, I remember realizing 
you know, the replacements were a huge influence on us. And they had that song about Alex Chilton. And so we all started listening to Big Star. <laughs> and then here we are using the same amplifiers that were on those Big Star and Tommy Keen and big replacements. That had to be crazy. Yeah, so. That had to be absolutely crazy to be using it, that gear. It, it, absolutely. And, you know, to know that we were, you know, participating in that scene and, you know, again, following our own instincts led us to just the right place, you know, and, um, John, uh, Hampton, he had a huge impact on the band and he really kept us together. We were, we were really messed up and we were having personnel problems as we were recording right. and, um, John held it together and he became, you know, a big part of the group. Uh, and for me personally, a mentor and a, and a brother and, uh, you know, a really close friend. And I ended up uh, in the course of my career making four records with John Hampton and uh, having recorded at Ardent Studios four times. So I feel very much a part of that. And um, one of the guys that worked at the studio, the studio manager was Jody Stevens, who was the drummer from Big Star. And so just, you know, becoming friends with him and, you know, being a part of that scene and a part of that family, we really became, you know, part of the Ardent Studios family. And, um, uh, you know, it's hard to articulate exactly how great that felt and how validating it was to, uh, you know, to succeed by, you know, sticking to our own guns and follow, following our own path. You know, it's really awesome. And, um, I saw him and the other night, actually, I, play at a Kinks tribute out here in Southern California to the... Uh, all right. Which was cool. Yeah, and then on top of that, I mean, you, so, you, you, you know, your first record comes out, and it does things that most debut albums don't do, you know, and I would imagine that had to also be a lot for you to process. I mean, you know, do you ever see that coming? I mean, where you have that kind of success that quickly? No, you know, again, you know, we, you know, the replacements were a huge influence for us. We never expected to outsell the replacements. You know, (laughs) that was always a bizarre thing to us that, you know, we're, we're selling more records than most of our heroes ever did. And, uh, you know, that's just not something you can really predict. And I, I remember a a conversation with our A&R guy, where um, I had seen some videos on MTV and I was talking about, you know, wow, you know, it's really cool. This is a pretty good song and, you know, all that. And, and our A&R guy said to us, um, this is before we recorded New Miserable Experience. He, he said to me, well, uh, you know, you'll, you'll do that too. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, you'll have a song, you know, that, that gets out there and, you know, is on the radio and stuff. And I was like, wow, really? You know, it was still, I was so naive. I didn't realize, oh, A&M records, you know, they, they actually believe we're going to succeed. (laughs) That's a moment right there. I I would think as a young artist, (laughs) that moment right there had to be pretty special. Sure. Sure. It was. And, uh, you know, then we made an miserable experience and I had turned in a song called until I fall away. Mm -hmm. And I remember, our A&R guy, his name is Brian Huttenhauer. And this is the guy, he, he was, he was on fire at A&M. He had signed extreme and, 
Us and Soundgarden. Wow. And so he was on, he was on the rise. They had just promoted him to vice president. And I remember him calling me and telling me that uh, Until I Fall Away was going to be a single. And I was just floored. I just, I, I couldn't believe, wow, I, I wrote a song that's going to be a single. And then I'll, I'll, here's another great moment. Flash forward a couple of years after that. We're out on tour, I was probably sometime in 1994, and I was at the hotel, I got onto the elevator, and Until I Fall Away was playing in music form <laughs> on, on the elevator. And You know I, you've I, arrived. I like, yeah, I was like, you know you are a success when you hear your song, or something you wrote in your bedroom and now it's in Muzak form, you know, so. Uh, wow. Very, uh, you know, there's, there's been lots of cool, cool moments like that. Robin, so. what is it, what, what kind of expectation does it set up with an album like that? Um, you like New Miserable Experience. What, what are you thinking when you go back in? I mean, I would imagine it's a unique kind of pressure. It's not like a lot of bands that take a couple of albums back then to sort of get up and running, but all of a sudden now you've got a standard that you've got to try and hit again, or at least I'm sure the record company's thinking, please hit that standard again. What is it like for you as an artist um, to come to grips with that going in the second time? Well, it's, it's intense pressure. Uh, we uh, When we went to record our our sophomore record, congratulations, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, we were under intense pressure because we had to follow up a multi-platinum debut. Yeah. And we had, lost, we had lost Doug Hawkins, and so we no longer had his songwriting available to us. And so there was really just an incredible pressure on Jesse and I to write songs as good as that. And uh, when this conversation began, and you said this, it was going to be about moments. I immediately knew I was going to tell this story. So we, we finished, we went to Memphis, we recorded Congratulations, I'm Sorry, and we finished the album, or so we thought. And we went home, and we get a call from the record company, and they're like, you need another song. You need to go write another hit <sighs> single. You know, you're, you're not quite done. We need another hit. And so this is the moment where... Oh God! We're under the most pressure we will ever be under in our entire career, <laughs> and there's really, as as a band, there's really no more pressure that you can be under when you've you're making your 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 sophomore record, following up a multi platinum hit, and the label comes to you and says it's not good enough yet. You need to step up and write another hit song, and so we we came up with Follow You Down. And that went on to be a top 10 single. We performed it on Saturday Night Live. Right, uh, right. And I so I consider this our, our greatest triumph as a band, to face down that pressure, to prove that it wasn't all about Doug Hopkins, and to prove that we were the songwriters that the label was banking on, to prove to ourselves that you know, we had it in us. Uh, this this was our greatest moment, and our, our I think our single greatest achievement was to write "Follow You Down." That's an incredible story, and the fact that you delivered under pressure like that—I mean, really, a for a company to to demand a hit—I won't even get into the, you know the practical fairness or unfairness <laughs> of that. 
but the fact that you delivered on it is insane. I mean, that really is. That's an that's a nearly impossible thing to do because who knows? It could still be a great song, but not connect in a way they're looking for it to connect. Right? I mean, you can't predict a hit. Exactly. You you really can't. And so uh, again, in in so many ways, this was our this was our greatest triumph, and it's it's perhaps you know the reason we're still able to do this now. Uh, because we we proved that we weren't a one hit wonder. We we proved that we had more than one record in us, and uh, you know it's the, it's the fact that we have a catalog of songs and not just the one hit right. that uh, that that really gives us our our value as a as a group and our credibility as songwriters. When when the breakup happened in the late '90s, did you think that was it? I mean, what, what were you thinking back then in terms of potential future? Did you accept it as as the grand finale? What was going through your mind when that happened? Well, I, for, I immediately formed. Uh, I left Jim Blossoms and I formed a band with my with some of my closest friends, guys that I'd worked with right. at Tower Records, and we, and we had been planning to start a band together. And when I joined Jim Boss, so I had to abandon my, my buddies to For say, gas I'm going to go, I, yeah, they, this was, this was several years before gas giants, but it's the same people. It's so when I left Jim Blossoms in 97, I immediately formed the band I was trying to form when I was 21 years old huh. and we, and we became uh, gas giants and, um, that, um, I've got a cool moment I want to tell you about with that, which is unrelated to music. Um, one of my, um, my other great passions in life outside of music were art and science. I'm a real renaissance man. Mm-hmm. And um, so in, in the 80s, I was in college and I was uh, studying uh, biology and taking classes like uh, calculus and geology and I was very interested in science that was my that was my other big passion outside of music and there was a moment where um the Voyager 2 spacecraft and it had its encounter with the planet Uranus and I came home from school and work or whatever and I turned on the television and on public television for two nights in a row there was a one-hour special broadcast from uh, Jet Propulsion Laboratories, where all of the scientists, Carl Sagan and all those guys, were getting the pictures from Uranus for the first time. And these scientists were so, so lit up, so excited about all this new information, and they're seeing Uranus for the very first time. And it, this, this so totally blew me away. I was, uh, I was so inspired by this that I went to school the next day. I started looking through the, uh, uh, the schedule for the next semester, and I changed my major to physics, and I decided that I wanted to study planetary science. And um, so I immediately steered away from biology and started going more towards physics and chemistry and um, cosmology. And I started, uh, you know, I read everything that Carl Sagan wrote. Mm-hmm. And um, Wonderful so... Books. Flash forward to the future, um, you know, I, when I built my recording studio, I named my recording studio Uranus Recording of Tempe. And I no longer have the studio, but I, then when I formed Gas Giants, I, you know, I was inspired to name the band Gas Giants uh, because of my love of planetary science. 
And uh, How wonderful. now I, I have a boat, I have a Chris Craft uh, uh, cabin cruiser that I, that I like to spend time on, and the name of my boat is Cosmos. So. In honor of Carl Sagan, presumably. In, indeed, yeah. Well, did you, yeah. did you watch the show when it was on back in the day on PBS, the companion show to the book? I saw it a few years after it originally aired. I, you know, I, I rented all the videotapes. Well, I didn't have to rent them because I, w- I was working at Tower Records, and then they opened Tower Video, and Cosmos was available on VHS. So I watched it all in, like, 86, 80, 85. And, um, uh, again, you know, I was constantly reading, uh, you know, Sagan and um, Stephen Hawking, and, uh, you know, I was reading all of the popular... Uh, books of, of those of the day about science, and um, I, you know it's always been a, a big part of my life, and it's still something I you know I think about quite a bit. I've been listening to a lot of uh, science podcasts lately, and um, a few years ago when they remade Cosmos with Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know I I really enjoyed that series and it, it, it actually got me choked up every single every episode I would get sort of choked up and like shed a couple of tears it was it was really moving uh, to me and did, did uh, you and did you I, and Brian may ever have a chance to talk science it seems like that would be no. a great meeting of the minds <laughs> no, given I'm, your qu- love of queen and science that seems like yeah. it would be pretty cool yeah yeah I uh, no I've never had an opportunity to uh, to meet any of the guys from Queen or whatever, but uh, I mean, he's actually like a—he has a doctorate. Yeah, you yeah. Know? He's, and I—I never even graduated from college. You know, the band Jim Blossoms took off uh, while I was in college, and uh, I was—you know—I was in college full time. Uh, again, my workload was physics, chemistry, calculus, and then you know I'm doing shows every night with the band, and then. Um, you know, I survived that semester, and then the next semester rolled around, and again, I got this full workload, more physics, more calculus, more chemistry, <laughs> and, um, and then things started to take off, and I remember uh, another great moment where I had to go to my physics professor and tell him, I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to finish this semester. You know, my band got signed, you know? Wow, and, um, that's a moment. And he's like, well, oh, okay then, you know, <laughs> good luck. And then, you know, my dad was a professor at the school, same college I was going to, and he was a close friends with my physics professor. And my dad thought I was a fucking idiot. He really had no respect for my intellect at all, and he didn't, didn't think I was smart. He didn't even really like me very much. But um, my physics professor had come to him and said, listen, your son is really, uh, you know, like a, a, a genius with this. He really gets it. He's a, one of the best students I've ever had. And my dad was like, what? Really? <laughs> Robin? You know, how, how, is that, how is that possible? In my dad's mind, I was just this, you know, Pepsi generation dipshit who, you know, just had no real direction or ambition. He did, he just didn't get it. But so when I, when I dropped out of college, you know, and the band was taking off, my dad said, well, you're a fucking idiot, you know? And then flash forward several years, another great moment in my life. Uh, we were out on tour uh, with UB40 in the summer of 93 and our record went gold. And I called my dad from backstage at, uh, I guess, it, I think it was the Greek amphitheater out in 
um, California. And I called my dad and I said, dad, I got, I got amazing news. I, you know, our record went gold. And there was this long pause. And my dad said to me, well, Robin, I feel really fucking stupid. And, um, <laughs> and it, it made me sad because it was, it was not, it was not the reaction. I, I realized right then, this is not the reaction I wanted. I think when I was 19, I would have fantasized about moments where my dad realized sure. that he had underestimated me. But at this moment, I, you know, I wanted him to be happy and proud and it just made it, it made him feel bad. Did it, did um, you guys you know? ever, did he ever turn the corner Robin and, and, and appreciate and realize what he did have in his son? Did, did, did that happen or? Yeah, it happened then, I, you know, it happened right around then. And, uh, you know, to this, to this day, my dad came to see us on New Year's Eve, and uh, you know he, he gave me a big hug and he and he said, you know, I'm so, I'm so proud, and it's just amazing what you've been able to do, and you did it, you know, you defied all the odds, you defied, you know, my, my advice, and you and you achieved something really great, you know, and I don't think he was quite as articulate as I just was now, but he, you know, that was the message that he but, got. But you know, at least he got there because I would think that, uh, yeah, that reaction to your call with a gold record that had to really throw you because you were, uh, you had to be euphoric at that point, and to be met with that just had to be such a. Uh, a derailment of the moment, you know, when you're you're just looking. Look, I think every young guy, they we, we want our father's approval, right? We want him to be proud of us and and uh, and approve of what we do. And when you're not getting it, you know, especially in the face of success, that that makes it even more bittersweet, I guess. Um, it, yeah, it, it certainly was, you know. But I, you know, by by time I was like 22, I had given up you know, trying to please my father or, uh, you know, adhering to his advice. You know, I, I was passionate about who I was. I knew that I, I had these, these great interests, things that were, you know, meaningful, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't studying, you know, some, something like business or whatever. I was studying things that I was really passionate about science, yeah. music, art, you know? And so I, I was confident that, you know, I was, I was on a path that, uh, you know, meant something, at least it meant something to me. And, and so I, you know, by the time I was in the band, when, by the time I joined the band when I was uh, 23, I wasn't really interested in his opinion, you know, but, uh, you know, eventually, you know, we, we kind of we re, we connected years later, you know, after the success of the band, and you know, at this point, like my brothers are both borrowing money from him, and you know, still <laughs> sort of, you know, they still needed him, and I right. was just gone, you know, and so he never at that, you know, from that moment on, he never had to worry about me, and I I never I didn't I didn't need anything from him, right. and um, you know, and that impressed him for sure. Robin, what, you mentioned the Smithereens up front in terms of bands that you were influenced by, that you admired when you were young. What's it like, you know, it's one thing to sell more records than other bands you look up to, the replacements and such, but when you get on stage with the Smithereens today, what is it like to be part of a band that, that you admired growing up and to actually help, you know, interpret their music? That's got to be something pretty special, too. 
it, there's really there there aren't any words to describe it. Uh, it. You know, it's it's so much fun, and it's just this this sense of validation. You know that I that it all mattered. That the path I was following was all for a reason. You know, and um, it's it's thrilling to be on stage with the smithereens. It's so much fun to sing those songs. And I've always loved that material. Well, you do an amazing and, job with it. You really, you, you really, I mean, you honor it, but you also sort of bless it with your own, you know, sonic fingerprints. You know what I mean? It's a great, it's that blend. that's always kind of, I think it's risky to do because you're not quite sure how far do you go, but I think you strike a really nice balance with it. Well, thank you. You know, I mean, I, I I make a point to sort of play it down a little bit when I'm on stage with them. You know, I know it's their band and it's their show and I'm there to support them and help them pull it off. And so I don't, I don't spend as much time talking in between songs or bantering with the crowd as I do with Jim Blossoms. I let them sort of dictate the, the mood that they want to set. And, uh, you know, I, I, res- I respect their uh, direction. And, uh, you know, I was just happy to have a, a big influence on the actual set list, mm-hmm. you know, and be able to uh, uh, help them pick the songs and then also to have some hand in, uh, you know, the sequencing of the set. And um, it's super fun. It's, it's such a blast. They're great guys. We get along great. And, you know, backstage... You know, I'm just doing my normal thing that I do with Jim Blossoms where I, I'm warming up with my acoustic guitar and I'm singing Sam Cooke and, you know, stuff like that. And it, they love that. They really get excited when I'm backstage, like, singing because we know a lot of the same songs. And we, Mike and I especially, Mike, uh, the bass player, right. uh, he just, he came into the dressing room and, he, and I was back there, like, jamming out to the cars. And he, he just looks at me and he shakes his head and he goes, man, I want to be in a band with you. You know, and I was just like, this is, this is, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Thanks, Mike. And, um, you know, one of the other things I noticed about uh, being in the smithereens is that uh, it's, it's really freeing to when you remove songwriting from your role in the band it's so much fucking easier. It really yeah. is. You know, I wondered, I wondered about that. If it freed you up, if it just removed all of the pressure and it's just, it's just prime time. I mean, it's just doing something you love doing without the pressure of having to own, like you say, that part of that responsibility part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, just, uh, you put it very well. And also there's the, you know, there's the competition in, in Jim Blossoms, we're all competing as songwriters and everybody uh, wants to prioritize, you know, their material to a certain sure. extent, of course. you know? And so uh, you remove all of that baggage and it's just so much easier to be in a band uh, when you're, when you're not worried about the songwriting at all, you know, it really is. It's amazing to me. And it reminded me back when I owned a recording studio, I, I, I did a session where I produced an ACDC cover band and they had, they had gotten permission from ACDC to record this unreleased song that ACDC wow. had never put out. And so 
I'm producing this session and I'm and slowly beginning to realize that I'm having more fun and the band is having more fun than any other recording session I had ever been a part of. And I realized it's because they didn't write the song. They're not behind the vision of the band. They're just, their whole function is just to try and sound like ACDC. And so as soon as you remove individual ambition yeah. from, from the process, it, it just made the whole thing so much lighter and so much more fun. And it really was uh, one of my favorite recording sessions of all time, doing that ACDC cover band. It was, a, it was such a blast. And so recently performing with the Smithereens reminded me of that because I realized that's how I felt again, you know. Roman, walk us through now the the tour you're wrapping up currently now. What's the rest of the year going to be like for you guys, if you can map out for us a little bit? Well, in a couple of weeks, I got, uh, well, we're going home to Tempe. We got a a show in Tempe uh, Mm -hmm. somewhere on campus at ASU. And uh, so that's going to be kind of fun because apparently... Uh, one of my closest friends was contacted by a bunch of a group of girls that we both went to high school with. <laughs> and so uh, we're going to be doing this like mini class of 83 reunion at the Jim Blossom's concert in Tempe in a couple of weeks. And uh, oh, wow. I'm, I'm going to have dinner with like eight people that I went to high school with. Some oh, cool. Most of which I haven't, I haven't seen since those days. Um, and then the day after that, I fly to Orlando and I'm doing, a weekend with the smithereens at Epcot center. And I'm really looking forward to that gig. I'm taking my son with me to to Disney world. And so he and I are going to, you know, spend a couple of great days together rocking in Disney world with the smithereens. So that's going to be a blast. And then it's a handful of shows, you know, kind of scattered around the rest of the spring. And then, you know, summertime for us is looking pretty good. It looks like we're going to do, Almost seven weeks with Collective Soul. That's a fun so, tour. That'll be a fun tour. Yeah, they're they're a they're a great live act. Uh, they draw really well. It musically, the combination of the, of the their hits and our hits, it, it always goes over well. We've played with them sporadically throughout the years, but never done a tour. And um, it's. Uh, going to be great you know we're going to do uh, it's going to be big business it's going to be really cool you know uh, well-established amphitheaters like uh, pine knob in detroit and places oh, like that and the bigger fairs like the orange county fair and the illinois state fair and uh things like that it's, it's going to be a, a really great summer so we'll do that for uh, uh part of june half of june and then we pick up again with them in august and we do another five weeks and in between those two things, we'll have some scattered Jim Blossom's mercenary work. And, um, I, and then after that, I'm going, uh, I work with this charity called the Love Hope Strength Foundation. I saw that. Talk about we, that. Yeah, well, we, LHS is a, it's a cancer charity. They support people who are, who are uh, battling cancer. And so uh, we don't fund research. What we do is we find uh, bone marrow donors and we help build hospitals in third world countries and things like that. And so it's about helping people that already have cancer. And, um, the one, one of the ways that we raise a lot of money is by going on these big hikes where we recruit musicians and a handful of musicians. And then these other people get to pay and invest in the charity, uh, for the honor 
air quotes, honor of uh, going hiking with us. And um, so with Love, Hope, Strength, I've been, to, uh, I've been to the summit of Kilimanjaro twice. And we also did uh, Everest Base Camp in, uh, in 2012. Amazing. And so I hiked with, uh, hiked with them uh, for three weeks in the Himalayas. That was a brutal, <laughs> brutal trip. And then uh, last year in October, we went, uh, after having been all over the world with Love, Hope, Strength, they put together an event in the Southwest where we did the Grand Canyon, Bryce Canyon, and also Zion. Uh, Canyon National Parks, and so that was fun because I got to go hiking with, uh, well, my old friend Mike Peters, who's the founder of the charity, the singer of The Alarm, right? and he's the co- co-founder of the charity, a three-time leukemia survivor, and, um, and then one of the other musicians on the trip was Billy Duffy of The Cult, and they have always been one of my favorite bands. I play tambourine. I consider myself like the greatest living tambourine player in rock and roll. And I play tambourine specifically because of the cult. So uh, to get to know Billy, I had never met uh, him before. To get to know him was great. And at at the end of the hike, we did a show in Vegas where I got to sing a bunch of cult songs uh, with Billy. And he's like, well, what do you know? And I'm like, what don't I know? You know, let's do She's So Sanctuary and Hollow Man and Revolution. And, you know, what, what do you, you want to do? You know, I can sing any of this stuff. And uh, so that was, that was a pretty big, uh, pretty big thrill. And so at the end of the summer, to backtrack to what I was saying, Love, Hope, Strength has an event coming up where we're going to Iceland. And um, very, I'm very excited about that because I've, I've seen Iceland in so many memorable science fiction movies. <laughs> so <Sure. laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited to go to Iceland with, uh, with Love, Hope, Strength. And uh, uh, hopefully we'll be able to recruit some of the other musicians that I've been on these, uh, these trips with before. So, um, if people we'll, we'll want to contribute, that. if people want to contribute to Love, Hope, Strength, what's the best way to do it? Well, on our website, right on our homepage, jimblossoms.net, there's a, uh, a banner link to uh, Love, Hope, Strength. And so you can just click on that, and it'll take you right to a place where you can make a donation. And um, one of the things we've been doing, like we did all last summer, is uh, we autographed these guitars with, uh, with whatever bands we're on tour with, and we auction them off at the merchandise booth. Uh, every night. Right. So uh, la- last summer, I was able to raise uh, a lot of money for Love, Hope, Strength, uh, auctioning off these guitars, and um, it, it, that really impressed our bass player Bill. And he he's been working with this charity, and he wanted to raise money for them. So this tour on the New Mexico Experience tour, we've been raising money for a charity called Jail Guitar Doors. And this is an organization that uh, brings guitars to prisons to help rehabilitate through uh, cooperation and learning and music. And so uh, we've raised a pile of dough for uh, GL Guitar Doors. And um, so they're they're really happy with it. And it's it's amazing to discover 30 years in that we have this power and this ability to, you know, really help out these charities in, in a tangible way that, you know, really feels great and is really organic and is almost no work. <laughs> yeah, us, yeah. You know? 
Uh, all well, I got to do is show off a guitar every night and tell people this is available at the merchandise booth and the proceeds go to benefit Love Hope Strength or Jail Guitar Doors. And uh, so we're going to we're going to continue to do that whenever we are whenever we're on a bus tour, we'll be able to do these types of, uh, of fundraising things, too. Well, you know, man, I think, look, a lot of bands don't do that, and, and thank goodness you do. That's a, that's a great, uh, f- the fact that you, that you realize that kind of giving back is uh, that you can be so effective and efficient with it makes a big difference. So I'm sure everybody appreciates that. So thank you for that. And, and Robin, thank you for walking us through moments, man. Look, your, your band is just one of, the, one of the great stories of your generation, and uh, it's, it's so cool that you're, you're, you're still, go, still doing what you do and that you personally get a chance to go off and do these other things like the smithereens to get to you know to play and and and, and communicate with and, and be part of things that you appreciate it's uh artistically that's got to be great and uh it's great great hearing about those stories well thank you I, I i was just i saw one of my oldest closest friends the other day in atlanta when we played there and he's like well so how are you and, you know, just trying to sum up all the positive stuff that's happening in my life, you know, to find myself at the age of 53, I'm like, Jesus, my, my career as a rock singer is just kicking ass, you know, and I, <laughs> my, my kid is happy and healthy and I've got a hot girlfriend and, uh, you know, I still get to ride skateboards and, you know, just I, my life is so great and so rewarding. I'm just very, I feel so fortunate. And I'm um, really lucky that our band is still together. We get along better than ever. We're playing at the top of our game. We're selling more content tickets than we ever have. So I'm, you, you caught me at a point where uh, this is about as satisfied with life as I've ever been. So, uh, Well, what a beautiful thing to say, me. and I'm glad we could document it, Robin. This has been a really, really enjoyable conversation, man. I really appreciate it. It's, it's been my pleasure. I, I, I've had a good time chatting with you, and... Uh, yeah, I'm going to have a great show in Austin, Texas tonight. So uh, life, life is good, you know. Well, keep kicking ass, man. All right. Thank you. It it's really has been fun. It's been nice chatting with you. Robin Wilson from the Gin Blossoms. What a great guy. I really enjoyed that conversation. I'm thankful that he took so much time to reveal moments of his life. I am Chris Epting. You are listening to The Moment. And I mentioned at the top of the show, I was trying to get uh, someone on the line, one of our lucky winners in the Win a Date with, uh, with Leif Garrett and myself contest coming up this summer. And I think we've got one of the winners on the line. Um, are you there? I'm here. Now, I want to get your name right. Is it Tanya or Tanya? It's Tanya. The W is silent. Okay. Well, Tanya, uh, Tanya Knapp, congratulations, first of all, on winning uh, the Win a Date with Leif Garrett contest. Are you excited? I am so excited. And uh, never in a million years do you think you're, you know, your name is going to get picked. And, and it was. And I'm so excited that it's uh, eating me alive right now. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask you, the reason I wanted to have you on, like, give me a little sense of the background. Like, were you a Leif Garrett fan back in the day? Like, what's your, you know, what, what was your take on him? How do you, how did he kind of factor into your life? Yeah, so as a young preteen, uh, he was a few years older, but, um, you know, when you're 11, 12, 13 years old and Leif Garrett's there and singing on the radio, you every little girl thinks, that he's singing to you, of course, and um, yeah. just my, I've got four super close girlfriends that we all went to school with and are still in touch, and um, 
we all would sing along to him whenever we could on the radio or put a 45 on the, uh, on the, um, on the uh, turntable and singing our hearts out. It was, we're just, they're excited for me and can't wait for, for me to be able to ask as many questions as I can think of and, and meet somebody that um, my 14 year old self would be ecstatic to have met back then. Well, you know, you get to bring um, someone along with you if you want. So just putting that out there. I don't know if one of your girlfriends is going to be one of the lucky, um, you know, people that gets to tag along with you, but you, you do get to bring somebody as well. Oh, okay. Well, this is going to be interesting to see how. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't it. know how you divvy that up. But <laughs> did did you ever get a chance to see Leif in concert back in the late seventies? I didn't. Um, I have watched some of his videos on YouTube, and um, you know, it's it's so funny just to see the styles and and um, the girls sitting there and everybody's ooing and awing. And of course, that would have been me had I been there. But um, I never got to see him live. And, but you were a Tiger Beat reader, obviously, right? <laughs> Tiger Beat, Teen Beat, all of those, absolutely. Um, posters know, all over the walls. It's really those. I, I think people forget sometimes just how influential those magazines were. When Leif and I were writing the book, we have a whole section on those magazines, just sort of the history of them, because you know, it's it, you forget that they really played a part. I mean, you you probably waited so eagerly to see, you know, what the cover was going to be, what the posters were going to be, what the contests were going to be. And it's, I don't think we have that as much today, obviously. I think, you know, social media has taken away a lot about a lot of that. But those magazines were very sacred to young teenage girls back then. Absolutely. Um, and even if it wasn't the poster, I was tearing out the pages that was the eight and a half by 11 size or whatever it was and, <laughs> and used that. It didn't have to be the the big one that they were advertising. Uh, we were pulling out everything that looked good. So well, um, it's funny. Yeah. The contest was actually Leif's idea. He came up with it and thought, Hey, he said to me one day, he goes, you know, I think we should do something that kind of throws back to help fans revisit their youth a little bit and create a contest where we can actually all go out and win a real date. He goes, because, you know, back when the magazines used to do it, he goes, it wasn't necessarily a date, you know, they might come in and I'd meet them backstage or we'd have like a soda, but it wasn't, you know, like you would go out and literally um, be able to sit down and get into anything too deeply. He goes, what if we do something where we go have a great long, lazy lunch somewhere and they can really ask what they want to ask. And I thought that was a really cool idea and the response to it was so strong you know it made me think that like we need to maybe do a couple of other things like this because the again i think fans if you know it just it must have taken you back to what it was like to be 13 and 14 years old when you entered this thing right absolutely and i think it's fantastic that he's doing this and that he's putting himself out there um for anybody to ask him pretty much i'm guessing anything i want to uh, imagining that he's an open book so to be able to I think he's a pretty open book. And, I mean, you know, I think the fact that he's writing a book, that he's written a book that we've written this book together is a good sign that for him it's it's time. You know, like he told me a couple of years ago when we first started kicking this around, he goes, "Look, people would ask me years ago to do this, but I wasn't ready." 
and I wasn't ready to confront a lot of things. He goes, but I'm ready. And and to Leif's credit, he really jumped in, you know, completely. He he took this very seriously. He wanted to uh, to tell the truth about his life and and lay a lot of things out there. So I think for him, it's been a very cathartic process. And you know, hopefully, you know what what I would love selfishly if you can read the book before we all go to lunch. You know, and that that might give you some questions or you know create some scenarios that you want to know a little bit more about or whatever. And I think that would really help uh, to check the book out before we we even sit down together. Oh, absolutely. And that that was one of the things I was going to ask you is when they are anticipating the release, would I be able to receive it before we had our. Uh, our lunch date. So yeah, okay. So here's how it's planned. The, the book is being released in early to mid July. I think the street date is July 16th, but oftentimes that gets nudged back a couple of days. So it, it'll be out, and then we're planning for our for our date uh, like late July. So that'll give you some okay, time to have perfect. gone through the book. And this will be worked out where, you know, we'll make sure that the winners are, are, are available and in town and can actually do it. So we'll, we'll work together to make sure it fits the schedule. It isn't like you've got to be here on this date or you lose it. We'll, we'll make sure it works for you. And um, that'll give you some time to have read the book. And I will tell you, too, the book is just, you know, bursting with really cool, very rare photos and kind of true Tiger Beat style, you know, of bringing you inside his world. And, and, you know, thankfully Leif and his mom kept these amazing binders full of photos. So we were able to incorporate some, some really special things that have never been seen by people before, which I think you'll like as well. Yeah. So it's going to be good. I think the whole experience is going to be good. And, uh, you know, I appreciate Tanya, you taking some time to come on. I was excited. You know, I, I was waiting to see who the winners were going to be as well, because I know there were a lot of people who were really amped up about this. So congratulations. I, you know, Leif's looking forward to meeting you and whoever you bring along. And I promise you we'll have, we'll have a really great lunch up in LA. Oh, great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And, um, when you speak with him, tell him, thank you for getting me this opportunity. I'm truly looking forward to it and very excited. I will, and we will be in touch with you really soon, okay? Okay. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for calling in, Tony. Appreciate it. There we have Tony and Knapp, one of our two winners on the Win a Date with Leif Garrett contest here uh, on The Moment, kind of in, in, in conjunction with The Moment. The book Idle Truth comes out in, um, let me see, in July 14th, 15th, and around there. So... Uh, so that's going to be it. So anyway, I want to thank everyone for listening. In fact, the uh, in two weeks, Leif is going to be, I can announce this now, he is going to be on with me live here on the moment, taking your phone calls. So mark your calendars. It's going to be April, let me check my calendar out here, April 4th, Thursday, April 4th. Leif will be on live with me taking your calls about uh, whatever you want to talk about. In the meantime, thank you for listening. I want to thank my guest today, Robin Wilson from the Gin Blossoms. I'm Chris Septing. Check out the show on voiceamerica.com, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on iTunes. Look up the moment. Thank you for listening. Be back next week with another very special guest. Thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for The Moment. Be sure to join Chris Epting for another edition next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week. 